I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. I've always wanted to do this. If you need Nick, <laughs> welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I'm Emma Race. I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Lucy Race. I slept in my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how come I always have to follow Alicia? I'm Felicity Race. <laughs> and I'm Lisa Alexander, the coach of the Australian Netball Diamonds. How are you? Thank you for coming. I'm delighted to be here. Did you amongst like- fellow footy fanatics? <laughs> yes. <laughs> And my If You Need reference, do you Uh-oh. hear it? Is it the ongoing joke that you always hear? Absolutely, and I use it all the time. Yep. Great. I'm here if you need. Email sign-off. Lisa <laughs> Alexander, here if you need. Here if you need. <laughs> Have we just got the name, the title of the um, podcast for today? Yeah, I'm writing it down. Okay, so you are a massive football fan. You do follow some of the same colours as we do. We try not to be too parochial here at the Outer Sanctum, but everyone knows a the truth. Um, But can you tell us just quickly, because I love hearing you say this, how's your relationship with football? What does football mean to you, Lisa? Uh, Football is, well, I was brought up in a football family in Cheltenham. And of course, everyone in Cheltenham, Barrack, for St Kilda in those days. Um, I will admit to changing when I changed my partner. Uh, but I always backed for Hawthorne in the finals because St Kilda was never in the finals when I was growing <laughs> up. And uh, luckily for me, or unluckily, I don't know, we had a very strong association with St Kilda Football Club through my father, who was on the social committee. My sister actually worked there as um, an office receptionist for many years. And Ross Smith was my lecturer at uh, Rusden. So there are many, many connections for me with St Kilda. Um, they're still in my heart, I have to I have to say, but I am fully Hawthorne and I changed in 2004. And I know that's very, very brave of me to admit that. Controversial. Yes. However, I am a controversial figure. So <laughs> what can I say? Which and is why it, you're here. It yeah. describes oh, my love-hate relationship with AFL really beautifully because and poetically because St Kilda, I mean, really, you, you know, you have to be into... Um, yes, I won't go into that. But any case, yes, you do. And um, they still can't kick. And Aww. my mother was speaking to me from heaven and saying, Lisa, they still can't kick the football Aww. straight. So I'm sorry, St Kilda, there's still some work to do. However, Hawthorne, I've just loved being on this ride, I have to say. And it's been such an exciting, fantastic um, to, since 2004 to see the club remake remake themselves, really, um, to be annoyed with Jeff Kennett, of course, and to be annoyed with Alistair Clarkson at different times as well. Um, it's really interesting, and that kind of describes my love-hate relationship with 
Aussie rules football. Do you find it relaxing to watch the football? Yes, I have um, talked about this. Rosalie Jenke is also another very passionate Hawthorne supporter and she's also the coach of the Queensland Firebirds and we're often saying to each other, and she will say to me, look, just, Lisa, go home and just watch the football and watch <laughs> AFL 360, and if I'm allowed to say that, and just relax. And that's what I do. I actually do watch a lot of Aussie Rules football because it helps me to switch off from the netball world as well. That's fascinating. Well, we're so th- thrilled that you're here. We knew that we'd find a replacement for Kate, and we've done it. <laughs> Before we kick off with um, reflections on the round that was, we've got a few swords to fall on. I will go first and say to all of our beautiful listeners in WA, people who know that gorgeous part of the world better than I clearly do, <laughs> Derby, Derby, let's call the whole thing off. Are we all friends again? I'm sorry, last week I may have suggested that we call it the Derby because we thought that Western Australians called it the Derby, but in fact I've been corrected and I apologise mm. for making such broad <laughs> statements, but I didn't make it as big of a dick of myself as Lucy did. <laughs> okay. What have you got for us? Look, I may have forgotten where Perth Stadium was <laughs> last week and I know that it's big and it's hard to lose and its location is actually in its name, so I don't have any excuse. <laughs> um Given that I have ridiculed people, people I know and love, for losing their cars in car parks, <laughs> I apologise. And to those listeners from the West, I say, my bad, it won't happen again. As penance, I have had a look at the train timetable. And if you are at Perth Stadium and you want to go to Joondalup or Fremantle, you need to go from the Western Concourse. And if you're looking for the Armadale Line or a shuttle to Perth Station, please go to the Eastern Concourse. <laughs> And their timetables shit all over Victoria's. They're so good. I've never I will been take that as a given. <laughs> Do you know, I saw something really nice um, on the weekend coming out of Richmond Station to go to the MCG. There's now a, a, a little shuttle for people who can't walk the distance. Oh, wow. That is a bit tricky, that walk from from the station up to the MCG. So, yeah, they're running a little free shuttle service, like at the airport, you know, to get you to your gate. So. Um, Good on them. That's really nice. That's Nick, did you have any geographical apologies? <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, as the expert on all things American, because I had to marry one. All right. Not marry. I didn't have to. Sorry. That's not quite how it works. <laughs> I chose Those to. Americans. Um, I do know that New England exists as a place. That wasn't quite what I meant. It's just as a child, I thought it was a state. And it was as an adult, I worked out that it's a region, a region. of five states. Yeah. But thank you very much for that polite reminder from our one of our listeners on actual geography. And I will stop speaking about America from henceforth. <laughs> Fair enough. We um, do appreciate being told when we've got it wrong. We hope that we take that stuff on and, you know, use it as a learning opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. You well, had a suggestion, I didn't did, you, I did, because, Alicia, last week you um, sprung on us the idea of um, did we have any other alternative names for the Western clash between West Coast and Fremantle. Are and you too scared to say Derby or Derby yeah. now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's spelled Dale with a J or a G. <laughs> but, and, and afterwards on the train on the way home, I was kicking myself that I didn't take the opportunity to marry my two great loves, which is musical theatre and sport, and suggested it should be West Side Story. Oh, yep. And it gives rise to a whole theme of sharks, sharks and, and jets, jets coming out. And I even went so far as to think at half time they could sing Cool. 
and it would be a <laughs> really great opportunity to just, you know, keep everybody calm, under control, and perhaps we wouldn't see Mr P getting another 16 grand oh. in fines. I'd like to see Nick Nanui sing I Feel Pretty. Mm. <laughs> Less knife okay? fighting and fighting over women yeah. though, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's my suggestion. He's weekend to practice anyway, doesn't he? Looks yes, like. it looks like yet. he might. Yes. Hey, um, so let's roll into reflections on the round. One of the biggest things that happened this round that was also kind of mirrored in the A-League was um, a goal review that was dubious. Now, I want to talk about technology and goal reviews and how we feel about it because I've got to say I might be a bit hardline on it, but I'm like if we have a goal review system, it has to actually work. I want it to be accurate. And I'm thinking like I don't care if you need to like – electrify the ball and it's like operation you're the doctor got the patient on the run and every time you get just a little just a tiny little shock of the so the players know it could count you know it's great for champion data it could count their stats right but if you're going to have it it needs to be right otherwise don't have it and we'll just go back to you know old school analog umpires on the field. Has anyone got a strong yeah, opinion? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't understand why they can't have, like, the tennis technology, because that's like, the, it, it actually has sensors and, you know, it makes a noise if it touches the line, or I, the problem is, ultimately, we're still relying on what people can see. So even with all the cameras, it's still ultimately a human thing. Whereas if we're going to have technology, it needs to be fully technology, you know, technological. <laughs> technological. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Which brings me to ask you the question, Lisa. Like netball, has it been, is it wired up? Is it wired for umpiring? It is wired for umpiring in terms of the umpires have the buzzer on their um, upper arm and so they get the buzzer straight there when time is up. But we've had many instances of failures of timing equipment, uh, scoring issues uh, because of human error, and just plain old human error for umpires, of course, Mm. even knowing which centre pass is next. Wow. So, And the old days, of course, when I was umpiring, it was you put your scrunchie on one side (laughs) and then you changed it to the other. That's how you did um, the two, you know, the centre passes. So... It's a it's a conundrum for netball. There's no doubt about it. We're trying to get more t- technology into our sport, and one of the great things I saw on the weekend was actually the camera angles were finally so much better in the Firebirds versus Lightning match, where we had a camera at the end of the court showing the beautiful play and the fast and the speed of the ball, whereas that camera on the side that just goes from one end to the other. It's totally, to my mind, boring, mm-hmm. and it's something that obviously our broadcaster needs to look at, and they are looking at it. If we had an ability to go back to decisions in netball, you would be forever unpicking the game. That is the major issue for mm-hmm. us. We have so many decisions that are made in a game, and the umpires, and I was trying to get the statistics then, it is absolutely unbelievable what those umpires have to go through mm-hmm. every basically 10 seconds of the game. They've got so many things they're looking at and we haven't changed what they're looking at in, I think it's probably about 40 years. Well, they're still talking in feet, three feet. They still have to know what three feet is, right? The reason that it's that is because we were originally an English game. So, of course, they use the imperial measurements. But, of course, we use 0.9 metres when we're talking about it in Australia. But, of course, that's in brackets. So the court is 100 feet by 30 feet. So all of those measurements are still in the imperial system. Um, And then you've got the issue of are you going to stop the game 
to have a look at a particular decision. And will we have that idea of, you know, like in tennis, where you only get a certain amount of times that you get a chance to question the decision of the umpires. Mm. So it's a really big deal for us if we're going to change it. Could you have the old school and new school with scrunchy cam? (laughs) (laughs) You could. And look, I will say that there was a decision in the gold medal final, which clearly if, if we'd had a chance to have retrospective um, ability to view that decision, it would have been overturned. So there's no doubt about that. Mm. However, having said that, I don't want to, and I'm really clear about this, this is not sour grapes. However, that has got a huge effect when you lose a centre pass Mm. in a game when you're four up and it's your centre pass. Mm. So massive, massive consequences, obviously, for Mm. Australia. Um, But again, that could have applied to the English team as Mm. well. And there were decisions all the way through the whole tournament Mm. that could have been looked at. You're not blaming the scrunchie. We've got that for the headline. (laughs) In netball, would there be one part of the game that you think could benefit from technology? Like whether it's, you know, measuring time for help balls or It's a hard question for me because of the speed of the game and so much is going on. It's a bit like at the moment everyone's trying to measure our game and how intense it is. And even the broadcasters are discussing what fitness results they can tell the public. And we're actually saying, we don't know where you're going with that. Are you using it? What are you using it for? And they're saying, we're using it to describe how world-class our athletes are. However, when you compare one sport with another, they're very, very different. And that's the issue for us. We are not AFL. Our athletes do not run as many kilometres. However, you can't say they don't work any less hard because their intensity of the play is so enormous. Mm-hmm. We still haven't got measuring capacity to actually measure netball properly. So wow. that's our issue. I think when it all comes back to, to football and to results, the I think the big fallacy is thinking that technology doesn't have a human component mm. to it. And, and it always does because it's been invented by humans, it's run by humans and it's um, analysed by humans. So I think it's really comes back to you really need to just manage expectations. It's also mm. a slippery slope. If you start, mm. um, you know, will we be yeah. retrospectively looking at marks and saying, well, actually Absolutely. someone else's hand was on the mm. ball first? Or, you know, where does it where does it end? So yeah. there's kind of an ethical and dilemma with it too, right? If the game is meant to be for spectators, spectators don't respond well to goal reviews. I mean, and the, no. crowd, the crowd boos every yeah, time. Can I just yeah. say, when I, when I was in England at the start of the year, we actually went to an FA Cup game. And I was saying, where's the replay? And, of course, they don't put replays up on the screens in England for very good reasons because Mm. they know that half of the fans will be baying for blood, basically. So there's none. Like the Newcastle fans were in in the A-League. But but I don't know what you do if, you know, the technology let everybody down by... You know, in that tiny in that little second, window. You, you disallow that goal. I mean, there'd be riots on the streets, but also yeah. it's not like you can replay it after no. the fact. So I but, don't know. You know, you're kind of stuck with the outcome, aren't you? Well, I think what Lucy says is great. The expectations, what the umpire says is final, and mm. we've just got to... It's part of the game. And I guess when you're looking, when we're talking about AFL specifically, is there so many variables? It's not Mm. like, like tennis, obviously they can have that laser kind Mm -hmm. of um, 
uh, technology, but also the variables. The, the court is always the same. The conditions yeah. mm-hmm. are often really similar. I know that the courts can change in surfaces, but, you know, AFL, um, all of the grounds are different sizes. The weather can be a part. And they're the outside. roof is closed. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So there's so many variables. I think we mm. just have to embrace that as mm-hmm. part of the sport. And I'm concerned about the slippery slope mm. of it. And yeah. the ethical dilemma around how much perfection do we want? This is actually a societal question around uh, artificial intelligence. We still are not having a proper discussion around what we want in our lives, even just, you know, how much is being influenced in our computers and our phones. Mm. It's a like to me, it's a much bigger question, and part of it is it's people love watching sport because it's human. human. Yeah. You know, there's some human interaction. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really maybe good point. If you took all that technology money and put it into umpire development, exactly. maybe we get a better outcome. And we're having a discussion right now about facilities in in sport. Now, are we spending money on white elephants? I don't know. Or should we be actually spending money on making sure people are developed to a higher Mm -hmm. level? That is a good question for all of us. I wanted to briefly talk about the VFLW scores between Darabin and the Northern Territory Thunder, which is a new team that's entered the VFLW and they are here to play. I'm not going to say it was all Chelsea Randall, but... Hello, Chelsea Randall. Um, It's an extraordinary situation to see a new franchise like that um, be so dominant. We know that Darabin um, is not the team that it necessarily was and the competition, um, the changes are immense across VFLW. So it is an exciting time to be watching this space. That was my takeaway. Um, mine's back to the um, the conversation. We've had a lot of close games, or had a couple of close games, but mostly quite one-sided ones in, in the AFL and the AFL-M. And I thought what was interesting was a conversation about goal scoring. And Stephen Hawking has decided that um, quality football isn't just about goal scoring, which kind of highlights and in some way undermines the AFLW memo that went out, which was mm. entirely designed to lift the goal scoring. He, he's decided now that it's less about that and it's more about skills, but also um, the contest between players, which I felt was well covered in the AFLW. So I guess it's good that he's rethinking things and I'll be interested to see how that applies for the women's comp. My reflection is who can catch Richmond, who are <laughs> now sitting on six wins with a percentage of 154.8%. I'm loving all the talk about we're not Richmondy anymore. And I like <laughs> Richmondy as an adjective. They are doing something that they haven't done many years in the past, which is really putting the foot down in the third and fourth quarter and just having some really dominant wins. And I have added up because I like that calculator experience last week that of all of their six wins that's a total of they won them by a total of 298 points so they haven't been nerve-wracking um and I'm looking forward to the next two weeks for their games they've got north and west coast and I think that'll be a really good great game great to see where they're at well if there were netball supporters out there they'd say this is not good for Richmond not having close games because they won't learn how to win the close games Mm. Interesting good reflection. Mm, well, given that North got over the top of Sydney in that la- at the end oh, of that yeah. game, which is, you know, if you were playing Sydney, you'd back them 99% of the time in that close final quarter. They seem to win those really well. It was such a big moment. So maybe North will be the ones to take it to them. Sydney have also lost their last three games at home, which mm. is making me wonder if there's a home ground disadvantage. Ooh. 
Mm. I love that. Well, mine's just on umpires, two points. Um, Of course, it was a close game, wasn't it, between um, Collingwood and Brisbane. And I just wanted to give a shout out. I don't know which umpires were which, but the three umpires that day uh, for bouncing, O'Gorman, Stevens and Chamberlain, and I'm not sure who did it, but... If you go back and look, it is almost a study of how to do the perfect centre bounce or throw up. Throw up? Throw up. Can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, either one. It was amazing. And that game was incredible. But every time my I, my eyes didn't go to the players, it wasn't on, you know, <laughs> um, Pendlebury or Trelaw or anything like that. It was it is amazing. Go back and watch. And the other thing is just to say about Tom Hawkins' um, issued a message of respect towards umpires after being banned for Sunday's clash with uh, GWS. Uh, The veteran Geelong Ford was suspended for making intentional contact with an umpire. He said, firstly, I absolutely respect umpires, their importance at games at all levels. And he just said it was unthinking, a split second and reactionary. So that was an interesting thing. And good on him for coming out and saying it. Exactly. I think um, he handled that really well. He said, yeah, I plead guilty. I did the wrong thing. Thank you for penalising me. It's a funny instinct to say Mm. that it was instinctive to touch the umpire because I would have thought his instinct was to not touch the umpire. Mm. Yeah. Which is well, a really strange one, isn't it? It's rare that we don't we don't see it very often. No. I, uh, yeah. Can I just ask what happened to Nick Haynes in that contest? Because actually, Nick's got a bit of he's actually one of my old teammates' sons, Shelley Haynes. Has anyone heard how he is? No, no. I, I didn't watch the match. I, yeah. I saw the, the you, footage. Oh, we were watching yeah, it quite a lot. The incident. We're yeah. going. What's happened? To, and we were trying to work out whether it was Nick. And it. I don't know. So um, hopefully he's okay. I was just going to come back to that perfect bounce. You know that the whole reason they invented the bounce was because it was unpredictable. That's why they start the game that way. So the perfect bounce is actually anti-football. It was something to watch, though. Do you reckon if you're that umpire, every time you nail the bounce, you're doing like a little yeah. I don't know. I definitely do. Because I like to tell you in the Hawthorne Essendon game, one of the umpires had a terrible time with the bounce. Didn't they? But I reckon the curators (laughs) of the ground would be going good on me as well because the action is the same. The grounds are what is variable too. Maybe they were bouncing it on those pigeons. Oh, pigeons. Oh, is there a, do you have a pigeon poem this week? I don't know. I swore I would, but no. Right, we'll park that and get back. All right, ladies, let's melee. There's been a lot happening in the news this week. Um, last week we talked a bit about the Ross Lyon um, incident at Fremantle Football Club. There was additional information that came out. That story seems to be ongoing, um, though it has quietened down a little bit. But I have been impressed with conversations around the respect and response Responsibility policy um, are still um, ongoing. Um, my query last week was, of course, is it enough? And we looked at sanctions and we were talking about all the different ways. How do we keep educating if we're not seeing from the top down as well as from the bottom up any changes happening? Um, one thing that we didn't speak about last week was the fact that the AFL clubs are signatories to our watch. And we have spoken about that here a lot, about how important respect to women and how important sport is in creating a culture and environment in um, our communities and society where women are respected equally to men and how that is something that can help change and stamp out violence against women. I was wondering if we could ask Lisa about what the what the um, when you when your code signs up to our watch I believe Netball Australia is also a signatory what uh, what's incumbent on 
the organisation as part of that um, relationship? It's actually a very um, serious relationship. Um, we all did training as a staff and people have to understand that as the national coach, I'm actually employed by Netball Australia, uh, probably funded through the Australian Sports Commission and, of course, the Australian government. So thank you all taxpayers. <laughs> um, but we actually have signed up to it. All of us have done two lots of training in um, this area of um, not just detection as such, but empowerment and understanding of the basics of where this discrimination comes from, particularly in the workplace, and it's around really language. And I've got to be in my bonnet about this, and I try really, really hard to make sure I'm using gender-neutral language at all times. It's hard when you're in a coaching role with a uniquely female game because netball is actually developed for women and girls. But, of course, we love men playing netball too and boys. Um, so we are actually taking that very seriously and our workplace is actually one of the first workplaces to legislate through our Nepal Australia board for domestic violence leave. So it is enshrined in our agreement at work and so that is how seriously we are taking it. And we also have to be leaders. Like if Nepal can't lead in this space, I don't know <laughs> which mm. sport can. Um, and we will need to make sure that we keep uh, our sport accountable on a community level. Uh, and sometimes that is difficult, particularly in the clubs where um, the Victorian uh, football netball leagues, it's not easy to do that. And part of when I go out into the communities to speak about those sorts of things and how we can change and make our sporting clubs much more inclusive for both women and men, and to empower women so that we're in a situation where we're not going to have an unequal situation where this all comes from. And it comes from educating our sons and daughters back at school level, but also in the home. And we need to just assist everybody to understand the importance of it. There's been um, shockwaves felt around the world um, since the Me Too movement, because people are now calling out behaviours that add to the trauma that um, can be domestic violence and violence against women. Um, and this week we saw um, the literary world also um, have their own outing of Me Too. I know that that's hit you pretty hard, Nicole Hayes. It has, it has. And and I don't think we can separate to what happened just, I think, just very recently in Canada, the, in, the incel, the so-called incel attack. I mean, the connection between the way women are treated, misogyny and sexism and violence against women has been established. Um, but in the literary world, there's been some very challenging moments. I'll give you, I'm just going to go through a few of them first and then I will bring it back to football. I promise you, stay with me. But the most, uh, probably the biggest, um, the one that got the most uh, attention was that the Nobel Prize for Literature has been cancelled this year. Um, three of the 18 members of the judges stepped down as a result of one of the other judges' husbands, uh, who's been accused of 18 separate instances of sexual uh, harassment and rape. So as a result, there were no judges and they've decided rather than, or not enough judges, rather than um, they can't move past that. So they've decided to just cancel it altogether. Pulitzer Prize winning author Juno Diaz 
had to withdraw from the Sydney Writers' Festival because he was called out by writer Zinzi Clemens when she was cornered, um, when he cornered the then 26-year-old and forcibly kissed her. She tweeted about it um, and then was quickly followed up by Carmen Maria Machado, who also um, said that he had been harassed, been verbally abusive to her when she questioned him on his um, misogyny in his writing and the way that um, he depicts women in his writing. Then Monica Byrne followed up saying that he had verbally assaulted her by yelling the word rape in his in her face at a, at a literary dinner multiple times over a, a small disagreement. In response to this, writer and memoirist Mary Carr reminded us that she was largely ignored when she'd made claims against her former partner, um, the now deceased literary giant David Foster Wallace. She tweeted, Deep, deeply saddened by the allegations against Juno Diaz, and I support every woman brave enough to speak. The violence David Foster Wallace inflicted on me as a single mum was ignored by his biographer and New Yorker and the New Yorker as alleged, despite my having letters in his hand. But David Foster Wallace was white, she finished. The years of abuse and stalking she su- suffered were reduced to two sentences in DT Max's 356-page biography of Foster Wallace. Um, and I encourage you to go and read his interview where he describes how fascinating he found David Foster Wallace's violence and the way he wrote about it. Um, add to this... Multiple and detailed accusations against 13 Reasons Why author Jay Asher and Maze Runner author James Dashner. They've both since lost publication deals and are no longer being represented. Their general approach was to corner young women. Young aspiring writers exploit their their desire to be known, you know, to meet these writers and um, they – there were multiple uh, accounts of them um, exploiting that relationship and, and harassing young women. It goes on. I don't know why, but it upsets me more that it's the literary world. This is supposed to be art. It's supposed to be a safe space to explore and challenge ideas, preconceptions, the status quo, indeed what it is to be human. As authors and as artists, our work demands we unpack and reveal our deepest and most vulnerable selves, opening wounds and exposing flaws, our own as often as, our own as, often as others, and to expose injustice and elevate the voices of those who we don't, we don't ordinarily hear. It's our job not just to reflect humanity's darkest and ugliest self, but to challenge it, to redress it, to recalibrate it even. So it's especially galling to know that the position of incredibly privileged and um, powerful men has been exploited um, and that the victims of this exploitation are the very people we've been tasked to defend. In the shadow of recent revelations of sexual harassment by Ross Lyon, I told you I'd come back to football, and the bevy of previous abuses of privileged perpetrators by football personalities, perpetrated by football personalities, these abuses in the literary world expose the football's defence, that sport, especially football, is a competitive warrior-like world, that, that you can't demand extraordinary acts of masculinity on the field, the physicality, the impact, the brute strength and courage of, the, of body on body, and expect anything less off the field. And yet here we have the same behaviours, the same abuses happening among people who work with words. And I just want to kind of reinforce the idea that toxic masculinity is not about sport or the competitive spirit or the warrior culture. It's about power and it's about privilege. And it's as prevalent and entrenched in the artistic world as it is in the professional sport, in the military, military, in government, it doesn't matter. Wherever there is power, wherever privilege and power are allowed to run free and unchecked, which is pretty much everywhere. And, you know, here we at the Outer Sanctum are going to, in our little corner of the world, going to keep 
raising issues around this as there are far, you know, advocates um, doing amazing things in this space. A lot of women and feminists really standing up. But the thing is, we can continue this all we want, but the reality is that we need men to hold men to account. We need men to step up and confront these behaviours, to challenge and interrogate sexism and misogyny in the book world, in the workplace, but yes, also in football where the power, which has the power and the influence to change society in a way, perhaps in Australia, that no other industry does. So until that happens, we're going to be stuck in a holding pattern, waiting for the next and the next and the next accusation to come along. So I'm just imploring anyone, people, men who listen to us and women who know men, to please remind them that they've got a really big role they can play here and, and I'm hoping that we'll see change. Wow. Thanks, Nick. That obviously meant a lot for you to write and also to unpack for all of us because I think um, we don't really delve into the literary world very much, but you're right, it does mirror so many things that we see happening and um, this week I think we've all been feeling the shockwaves from the Four Corners um, interview that yeah. was released and um, and I, I guess we have been feeling a bit disheartened about um, how many ways we can support an industry, especially football, um, in ways that educate and with policy to try and make sure that these things don't happen to us and to our sisters and our friends and and ultimately our children and to be handed on. And the behaviours um, do feel just the same across all of those different genres and industries. And we, I guess at times feel like we're one step forward and a lot of steps back yeah. and it can be challenging but um, I guess taking it on and, and asking people to step up and and call out terrible language or behaviour that they see especially around sporting organisations is a really good start. Uh, I just think it starts in the sporting sections of all the newspapers. I still think that is a real area, a need for change. Um, I remember speaking to Wally Mason, I think it was six years ago, who's the sporting editor of The Australian. And I said to him, why isn't there not more netball in The Australian? It's, an Austra- it's a national sport. It should be covered. And he told me it's because of the demographic of readers. Um, and, of course, things have changed since then, thankfully. But the issue is that there is still a male hegemony that determines the stories that go into that particular section of the paper and keeps on reiterating this power relationship. And until those sorts of things change, we're we're going to have to keep up Mm. the fight from our perspective, which is exactly what this podcast is all about and why I'm so absolutely feel honoured to be on it. How entrenched is it that... As a kid, we are told that we're, that men's sport should be foremost. It should be on the back pages and the women's only tiny mm. because they are faster, more powerful and uh, more interesting to watch. We were told as kids, I believe that. I don't. I didn't believe a lot of stuff. My dad said I could do anything and he was, he was a feminist and I really believe that. So I had a great dad and a great mum and so forth. But... I just believed that men were more interesting to watch. Yeah, it comes back to the question of how often do you hear people say, I don't like women's tennis? Mm. Like why yeah. is that even an option to, <laughs> to be able to, like, it, of course it's an option, but you don't hear people saying, but I don't like men's tennis. It just doesn't happen, does it? No. And it, it's, you know, I guess there is, 
Is it actually supply and demand or are we manufacturing what the supply and demand is? You know, I know when I looked at tickets um, a number of years ago for the Commonwealth Games in when when they were here locally, um, the tickets for the men's 100 metre final were significantly more expensive than the tickets on the night of the women's 100 metre final. And at the time, I just sort of, I thought that's that's interesting, Mm. Um, you know, but do we do we manufacture that by you know, by continually making it seem mm-hmm. like a more elite event? Of Ooh. course we do because, mm. you know, the C- CGF, the committee that runs the Commonwealth Games is basically 99% men and they were very, very, of course, spruiking their gender neutrality very much so at the last Commonwealth Games. But I can tell you in Australia, the number of coaches that were returning female coaches to the Australian team from Glasgow were two, myself and Margaret Keldo. Wow. Which and brings a, it's stark. It's a very wow. interesting point and one that we would love to speak to you about. In terms of AFLW, we've seen Michelle Cowan and Rebecca Goddard leave the game. And um, this week we saw Daniel Harford has been appointed the coach of um, the Carlton AFLW um, team. When you look at the power of AFLW to change the story for women and girls. How do you dissect the fact that there will be no female coaches, quite possibly, going forward? Well, they've missed a perfect opportunity. Is there any reason that Beck and Michelle are not up to standard for that competition? I don't think so. I think they've both proven that they are. And I just don't understand it. I think the AFL... The AFL should have been responsible to make sure that those two women stayed in those positions, however which way they managed it. They've got so many corporate ties all over the place. Surely they could have uh, made it more palatable for both of those women to stay in their jobs. I just I can't understand it. Does the AFL ever ask you to come in and do you ever consult with the AFL? Yeah, about I do. I actually do in the coaching space, and I have done that because I have a great I have a great uh, feeling of responsibility in coaching across the board. I absolutely adore coaching, and I adore coach education. So I don't care if you're from Mars or you're from Venus or you're from a male or a female background, I'm there to support you as a coach. And I have been asked by the AFL to contribute to their level four um, course a number of times where I've spoken to the coaches and also the AFL uh, Coaches Association. I've spoken as a keynote speaker at their event a couple of times. And I'll keep doing it till the cows come home if they ask me to. I am a bit controversial because I have put the challenge out there to the AFL around, particularly mental health and well-being, not just of athletes, but of course of the coaches themselves. And the last conversation I had with the AFL Level 4 participants was around that. And I can tell you there's been a big shift already. Um, But that doesn't solve the problem of of women coaches. I have only met uh, Beck and Michelle once each, uh, we invited Beck Goddard to actually speak at our high performance conference for netball last year, which I was really proud of the fact that we did that. And all of our coaches found her fascinating, wonderful to hear her stories, um, and you know, a great a camaraderie was built. And between Beck and also Dan Ryan, who's our coach in Adelaide with the Adelaide Thunderbirds, they struck up a really great relationship as well. So it's a 
it's a big issue. If you're fair income about empowering women and girls in your sport, then you need to have a great gender diversity amongst not just your boards, your administration and everything. And as you know, AFL supporters for many years, sorry, Aussie rules football supporters have been female 50% over time in history. I, I don't understand why the AFL doesn't access that more. Lisa, do you think that there's a role for quotas in terms of coaching and administrative positions, especially particularly in the AFLW? Oh, look, I'm, I, I'm not one to really ask about quotas because I'm involved in high-performance sport. I'm really into uh, excellence for excellence sake. I'm not so much into a meritocracy as such. I never have been. Um, that's probably why I was frustrated in the government system as a teacher and perhaps Wesley College suited me more um, as a person because I personally strive for excellence all the time. However, having said that, there is a real problem. It's clear. It's clear in our parliaments. It's clear on our boards of our ASX companies. We've got to do something about it because what we're doing is we're missing all the talent. Mm. You know, that's what my issue is, is that we're missing the talent in our country to make our society better because we're actually listening to all the voices out there. The listening is a really big thing. Going back um, a few topics ago when we were talking about imploring people to be supportive of um, of speaking out and speaking up and supporting women, over the last couple of weeks, and I mean we all work with women here, but I, we work with a lot of men as well, and especially around football men, I've really noticed a real defensiveness that kind of comes up and creeps in when we start talking about violence against women or sexual assaults. and um, And... As much as it frustrates me, I think part of it might be that they're terrified of talking about it because it's not their experience. And they have a lot of opinions on it, but they don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing them in front of other women. So one thing that I know I can probably do better is to offer to say, I'm happy to talk to you about this. And, you know, you think about the great Indigenous leaders that we've had come through this studio and even um, Rana Hussein has said it so many times that at Richmond she'll say to people, ask me what it's like to be a woman of the Muslim faith worth working in football. Ask me any questions. And I remember my friend Stella Young, who was a disability rights advocate, she used to always say, just ask me. If you've got a question, ask me. And I, we feel the same. I have felt the same so many times that, you know, we can ask Shelley where any questions that we have about, um, you know, Indigenous relationships and, and things that are happening throughout all of our cultural, you know, um, points, touch points and touchstones around um, sport. And so I feel like that's something that we can offer back to our male counterparts to say, if you want to have a conversation about what Me Too really is and what it is for me, or if you would like to know the ways in which this um, seeps into our everyday life, I'm really happy to talk to you about it, as personal as that might be. I think asking is the key point because what uh, pe- women or you know uh, Indigenous people feel is that they don't want 
uh, to be told uh, this is the way it is. And also, okay, you're a woman, explain women to me in a general mm, sense. Yeah. They want to, don't want to be told stuff. It's being asked politely. Yeah, I think you're right. It was interesting, Felicity, when you brought up um, supply and demand. One thing that Netball's doing real, a really interesting, um, taking an interesting path on is the Wake Up Netball campaign, which is to try and empower the 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 1.2 million fans that Netball knows it has around the country to get passionate, start watching it because by creating the demand, the supply will follow and money will follow and then coverage will follow and then change in language will follow and sponsors will follow and it has such huge wide um, implications for the broadcast rights and for the players and the way that women are paid in sport. Do you Have you been enjoying seeing that roll out? Oh, look, I... I... Absolutely loved it. I spoke to Sue Gordian before she put her first um, Facebook message out because as a national coach, I was curious about it. I said, what's this about? And it was such a great conversation. And, you know, I've said to Sue, I will quietly in my own way support exactly what we're trying to do, which is to get our grassroots uh, to actually support the sport sport on TV. Because if we don't prove to our broadcaster that we've got – this many fans following us, they you know obviously the economic world will say it, it's all about numbers, and so we need the numbers watching it. Whether it's digitally, because a lot of the people had a problem with the, the time slots that are on TV. They're on three pm and one pm on the weekend. Of course, it's right in netball afternoon time slot. Uh, but we're trying to say there's many flexible options for them, and we are measuring not just the host broadcaster, you know, on free to air TV, which we're thrilled about but also all the digital channels as well. We've really gone into that world and we want to be a global sport. We want to be watched in England. English people are just dying to watch, you know, the super netball. So are the Kiwis, so are the South Africans, so are the Jamaicans. So it's not just about Australia, it's also a global movement. Are the AFL jealous of the fact that you've already got a huge supporter base in India? <laughs> I don't know. I've um, I look. I just I love India because I go there so often, and I just say it's just it's just an unbelievable opportunity for netball to really drive not just some sporting outcomes for India, but also some health and welfare outcomes for India, which I've visited and been a part of the Department of Foreign Affairs of Trade over in Delhi and gone to work with some underprivileged um, girls and women in South Delhi. And that was just a fabulous opportunity for me. I'd love to do a bit more of that. Lisa, I notice when I go to junior sport, junior footy looks like junior footy always has. But recently I've gone to a bit of junior netball. It is a different game to when I was playing back a million years ago. It's so fast, it's so athletic now. Um, has something changed at that grassroots that these young – it's got to be more than just the awesome uniforms. You know? <laughs> Actually, I think you're probably right. I think it's probably – if we if I think back to when I started at 10 – it would have been only the sporty girls that actually played netball back in those days. And then we only had the one team that competed at primary school. Whereas now I think you'll have, you know, the, if you had three grades, I think all the grades would play now. You'd pretty much get almost 100% coverage. So there's more girls actually playing and being more active. And maybe, you know, we're just that particular... Um, group of players that are coming to netball are more like that and there's more of them, so which is great. On a world stage, I just wondered how you felt about uh, Becky Hammond um, 
perhaps being interviewed for the NBA coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Is that something, some big visibility like that will be an opening for the rest of the world? Oh, absolutely. I actually also follow a, it's an English group, the Female Coaches Network, and they've got a conference over in England in September, but they've interviewed me at at length as well. And they publicise all the time the female coaches around the world and actually point out where there's a few discrepancies where people have, for example, there was a big furor in England. It's actually involving Tracy Neville's brother, who is... um, obviously in the football world, very well revered because, you know, her father was involved and the Neville brothers both played for Manchester United. So Tracy's got such great connections in that world. However, her brother was appointed to the Lionesses, the the English football team, uh, the female team. And there was a bit of consternation about that because they felt like it was, um, again, a little bit like AFLW, that it's only the blokes that are getting the opportunities with these great... Um, positions. So he's gone and he did say a couple of things on social media that were inappropriate and he was only joking and it was that northerner kind of jokiness. But that's the issue that I'm trying to describe here today is we do have to call out when things are inappropriate language wise because it just keeps on reproducing the current hierarchy. And we've, that's what we've got to continuously challenge. But I think it was fantastic to have her and to listen to it. And many of the other female coaches and sports scientists that are involved in high-performance sport in America. There's been more discussion by the football media this week about the inclusion of trans footballers in the AFL and AFLW and VFLW code. I'm going to keep this pretty tight because I could talk about it forever. It's been breaking my heart, actually, to see um, the fallout of what happens every time this is brought up. Um, I also don't think that radio programs or TV shows in two-minute segments can um, do this topic any justice. And um, so I just wanted to say that while... There's a motivation, I believe, um, by uh, commentators to talk about how they're so terrified about the pain and potential injury that um, a trans player might make uh, or might cause in playing the game that we actually have quantifiable statistics about the damage that will be done if we talk about this and what will actually happen to people in the trans community should we talk about it without having valuable resources and a really informed view um, so I just wanted to put that out there as a um, acknowledgement that there's some stuff going on that, of course, everything's a teachable moment. So I wanted to also leave you with a resource that I found really interesting this week. Danielle Warby, who is a pioneer in media and coverage of women's sport, provided an excellent resource on Twitter about the Flying Bats Women's Football Club in Sydney. It is the round ball, not mm. the other kind of ball. But they're a fully inclusive sports club who are committed to fair, safe and fully inclusive um, opportunities for women. Uh, women as defined by the individual. So everybody is welcome. And there was a really interesting part in their policy that I thought was a real turning on its head 
of um, what we often hear talked about when it comes to trans people playing football. It said the Flying Bats Football Club rejects any suggestion that trans, gender diverse or intersex people have an unfair advantage over cisgender women as all clubs have the same capacity to register transgender diverse, sorry, gender diverse and intersex players. The Flying Bats does not accept that one team has an unfair advantage over any other due to their inclusion and I thought that was a really lovely way to turn it on its head You've been watching this unfold, Nicole Hayes? Yeah, just look, I'm not going to go into the specifics about who, but there's been some commentary in the mainstream um, media about this. And I think the one consistent thing that continues to come up is, one, these commentators uh, are, try, are seeming to present quite a, a, you know, a neutral, considered argument when one of the glaring um, omissions in their assessment is that they are not in any way consulting with the trans community. So that's problem number one. And the second one is this notion that um, trans players are somehow a, a singular, a, a homogenous kind of same uh, sort of person in the same way that, you know, men are or women are. Um, you know, I'm sure if you just look at Caleb Daniel and Aaron Sandy Lands and put them next to each other, you can see how I, they're almost identical from a gene pool point of view um, in the same way that trans people have run the gamut of all different shapes and sizes. So I think um, they're the main sort of takeouts for me that we need to really challenge those ideas. I'd just say that I'd echo what you said, Emma, about um, it's very dangerous to to write articles and to to have opinions that have potential to do harm to sections of the community that might be vulnerable. Um, And especially when those opinions are based on flawed logic like um, you know, sections of the community just being one big homogenous group mm. that all has very similar characteristics, um, but also brings in research that is selective, um, that calls on um, experience of talking to other people as, as you know, giving weight to an opinion, opinions of other people. I would go back to something that I think we said earlier in the year um, or late last year regarding the marriage equality debate that your opinions don't trump people's rights. And I would also point your um, point you to a resource which is available via the Victorian Equal Rights and Human Rights Commission, which is a four-pager on trans and gender diverse inclusion in sport, the basics. One of the little things that I'd like to read out of that is that what should I know section that says there is more to sporting ability than strength and testosterone. Testosterone can increase a person's strength, but sport is about more than just strength. Fitness, training, age and experience often play a bigger part in making someone a good player. Recent studies have shown no significant link between testosterone and performance for elite female athletes. Um, Moving forward, I, I think this conversation is going to continue. We've seen big changes in the IAAF in terms of the way that um, they are applying eligibility um, to athletes with naturally high occurring levels of testosterone. So unfortunately, I think this conversation is going to be something that continues. But also, I guess fortunately, because I think it's it's something that organisations, sporting organisations need to um, turn their attention to. I fear that we're in a situation that we're in in terms of um, Australian rules football that is problematic because the governing body hasn't dealt with this issue in a 
strong, considered, timely, um, efficient in a way that really makes it clear and it actually has given grey area Mm. that I think people are straying into. The last thing I'd like to leave is um, my point on it is there was a lot of discussion in that particular article about fairness and I'd like to pose the question, is fairness about winning or is fairness about not discriminating against a section of the population? Yep. As always, Stand Up Events is another excellent resource and they have Move in May coming up, um, which is a beautiful celebration of inclusion and sport and great conversations. And you can, if you're in Melbourne on the 20th of May, you can get involved. It is so much fun, uh, their Move in May event around the Botanical Gardens. We'll put all the links on our website. All right, before we move on to other business and get out of here for the day, Alicia, sometimes what headline caught your attention? I love this headline this week. AFL fans want Sunday sessions at Mars to avoid footy clashes. And the astrophysicist lover in me just (laughs) got so excited that they were going to play on a planet that we haven't even got to yet. I was so excited. But it is about Ballarat's uh, AFL fans want to see matches on Sunday afternoon to avoid clashes with local football. And I think there isn't a better reason. Um, Get in line, AFL. Yeah, it's an overwhelming result of a poll conducted by by uh, the Courier after Saturday's Western Bulldogs versus Gold Coast clash. And people were saying they absolutely don't want to mess with their local footy, and I love it. I'm behind them. I I saw a headline as well that caught my eye, and it brings back my favourite segment, which is Period Watch. (laughs) I hope everybody's listening in their cars, all the dads driving their girls to netball. Lisa Alexander. Please. Um, Celtic. (laughs) Do I say Celtic? Can I say Celtic? Celtic. Celtic. Okay, Okay, we're talking soccer. We're talking round ball. (laughs) Yeah, Celtic, Celtic. Um, Are to provide sanitary products for female fans following a month-long campaign. These products will be available in all women's toilets free of charge from the start of August. That's a way you get people going to your games, making the ladies feel welcome. Absolutely. Are they GST free as well? Who knows in the UK? Do you reckon they've got that right? (laughs) They've got that. Have they got that? They've They've got got that on us. No, they've got a vest. Oh, they've got a vest. Value added. They've got that. Okay, thanks. Um, Well, I was really impressed with that. I thought, well, they should be free. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. Lisa Alexander, thank you so much for joining us today and bringing the oranges for halftime. Oh, thank you. I don't know whether I spoke about footy enough. I'm sure I'm going to get criticised, but I'd love to speak about football more next time. Well, you'll definitely have to come back. We have a very astute listener base who will be listening to this whole podcast nodding furiously like the nodding corgis on the back of people's window ledges (laughs) in um, preparation for the royal wedding. Uh, We're all done. Is there anything left to say other than go go footy? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.